Father God, thank you for this beautiful day of rest that you have blessed us with to be refreshed in your word, strengthened by your grace, renewed by your spirit. Lord, we pray that you would instruct us now as we open up your word and specifically that you would reveal more of your character to us through how you have revealed your names to us. So, Lord, guide us and bless this time together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we are on part four of the doctrine of God this morning. And we're going to be looking today at the names of God. The names of God, which he has, how he has revealed himself. Morning, Paul. And this is, you may think, well, what if... God's names have to do with, you know, why spend some time looking at, at God's names? So what? And he's, he's God. Well, names are very important because names, the names of God communicate to us special, in special ways how he has revealed something of his character to us. Okay, they're part of his self-revelation. Okay, they're not, God's names are not arbitrary and that's why throughout especially the psalms um, the phrase that is repeated is the name of the lord is to be praised so when we confront god's names we confront god himself and the reason for this is that god's names represent him hey they reveal something of him to us. They give us a, a, a glimpse into his character. And so it's very, it's interesting that throughout the scripture, humans never get to name God. Okay, what is, we see that Adam does get to name things in the Garden of Eden. What does Adam get to name? Yeah, the rest of the, the creation, the names of the animals and all that. Okay, why? Why does God give him permission to do that? Yeah, okay, by Adam naming the animals is showing that God delegated authority of man over the creation. So in a similar way, okay, God, well, obviously, God didn't say to Adam, okay, now you can name me. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Um, it, it would have been completely illegitimate. Okay, Adam, man only has authority over the creation. That's why he could name it, the, the various animals. Man does not have authority over God. That's why man does not get to name God. God gets to, to name God. And so... That's why it is completely illegitimate to call God anything other than he has revealed himself by. Okay, that's why you, you, you know, there's some moves in so-called progressive Christianity to rewrite the Lord's Prayer and to make it to the effect of our mother in heaven. Morning, morning, guys. Okay, we can't call God mother, okay, or the holy parent, or 
whatever it is, because that's simply not how God has revealed himself. Okay, the names of God, these are, these are not human inventions, okay, but they are divine, of divine origin, but yet they're borrowed from human language. So, any questions regarding the names, the principle of naming, of God revealing himself as opposed to us having the authority to name God? Yeah. Okay, well, let's look at, let's get into and look at some of God's names in which he has revealed himself. Okay, let's first look at the Old Testament and, and uh, the Hebrew names. And the first name that, probably the most common name throughout Scripture in the Old Testament is Elohim. Okay, which means God. Okay, there's nothing more, nothing less. And it's the generic name for God. And it's important for us to realize it's not a... A unique name in that pagan gods also use the pagan gods also Elohim okay just as our English word God is ultimately uh, of pagan origin okay you got to understand that it's a generic name that has been now Christianized okay it's from a I think the the Norse the um, Norse languages um, but it doesn't make it any, doesn't make it problematic. Okay, the the Bible uses Elohim basically to show, to take ownership of that name. And say, no, our God, the God of the Bible, is the God, is the God of creation. He's the God of nature. That's why when the Bible opens up in Genesis one verse one, the name that God uses there is Elohim. In the beginning, God created the heavens. And the earth. And if you know anything about Hebrew, Elohim is singular or plural. <laughs> it's plural. Okay, Im is the is the Hebrew masculine plural. So the singular is is L. And you do see L used for God also in many places in Scripture. So is that saying, well, God then is, is we, God, it's uh, God's many gods. Okay, we're talking about the gods, like the pagans. No. Okay, so some people say, oh, no, it's reflecting, it's a hint of the Trinity. I think that's probably a stretch. Probably what is more accurate is when we say Elohim, okay, it's reflecting God's power and majesty. As the one and only true God. Okay, so Elohim. Now, many of the other Hebrew names for God use the use the prefix El. We're going to see. Like the next one we're going to look at is El Shaddai. Okay, or God Almighty. Now, El Shaddai was first used with Abraham in Genesis 17 verse 1. Okay, that's when God made the covenant, or ratified the covenant with him. And it comes from the Hebrew word shadad, which also which means to be powerful. And it points to God possessing power in heaven and earth. And it shows the greatness of God. 
Okay, but at the same time, it doesn't show him, doesn't reveal something about him, doesn't portray him as someone to be terrified of. But instead, it reveals him as the source of comfort and blessing and strength. Okay, then another name which is used in the Bible for God is El Elyon. Okay, or it's translated in English as God Most High. Yeah, so it's from the Greek, um, what's the Greek? The Hebrew, <laughs> the Hebrew word Allah, which means to go up or ascend. And so it's revealing, God is revealing himself as the exalted one, the high and lifted up one. And it's used, for example, in Genesis 14, 18, when Melchizedek uh, meets Abraham. Okay, another common Hebrew name for God is El Olam. Yeah, this is a beautiful one. Okay, God the everlasting. Okay, ever, um, Olam is everlasting. Or uh, for when Hebrew, in the, especially in the Psalms, it will praise God forever and ever. Okay, and the word there is Olam. Um, it, infinite. Infinity. It uh, communicates. So it's the God who's, who's everlasting, who's eternal, who's uncreated, who, who has no beginning and no end. Yeah, the Alpha, the Omega. And this is used, for example, in Genesis 21, 33. Okay, then another common one is Adonai. Okay, Adonai means Lord. Okay, and it's from the Hebrew root Adan, which means to rule or judge. So it's pointing to God, revealing his character as the, as the ruler of all, the sovereign King, the judge, the one who's full of justice and, and, and righteousness, um, to whom every one on heaven and earth is subject to his, his sovereign rule. So we've seen all these Hebrew names so far. Okay, any questions about them? We're not finished yet. Just taking a pause here. When we read it in English. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then also, like for the everlasting, like everlasting is there in English as well. So do, do they do they use that specific designation, the everlasting version of God, and then they say for everlasting? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. So you're saying, is it every time we read God or Lord, is it are we getting what's being what's the Hebrew behind that? Well, it is it is translated in in. Um, so, for example, El Elyon is going to be, will be translated in your Bibles as God Most High, not just God generically. And the same with um, El Shaddai. Okay, it'll say God Almighty, El Elam, God Everlasting. The, where there is a difference here, as we're going to get into the next one, is Adonai, okay, which in your English Bibles will be Lord uh, Lowercase. Okay, O-R-D will be lowercase. Um, because Adonai is also, like Elohim, it's a generic word for Lord. Okay, even like various kings in the, the Bible, are they called Adonai? Or it's Sir, okay, you can say, dissimilar in English. Well, sorry, I'm thinking in, in Greek here, okay. <laughs> in Greek, 
Um, the equivalent of Adonai is kurios. And you could call, you know, like, in, like I suppose in Afrikaans, you, you respect um, okay, or tani. Okay, you know, okay, God's not a tani. Okay, let's just be, be clear. Okay, for the podcast, God is not a tani. Okay. But as a sign of respect, sir, okay, you can say kurios or Adonai. But where we see the Lord in capitalized letters, then something else is going on there. And this is the, in Hebrew, is, is revealed as God's personal name. So in a way we could say that all the other names of God are, they don't detract from the truth that God reveals through them. But they are more like titles. Okay, so say for example, um, it's used our president as an example. Love him or hate him. Um, so his, we call him, okay, Mr. President. Okay, or you could call him the Honorable, His Excellency. Okay, those are all legitimate names to use for the president. Okay, and so that's what, in a way, we see in a, in a similar way in the Bible, um, these titles for God that are representing something about him. Okay, but they are not his personal name. So with God, he, he has a personal name over and above these titles. And that personal name which no other gods, because remember, other pagan gods are also El, okay, Elohim, okay, Molech and Baal and Asherah, they're all Elohim, <laughs> okay? Um, not detracting from the legitimacy of using Elohim for the true God. Must be clear about that. But the personal name for the true God is Yahweh, Okay? And any guesses where God reveals that, to whom he reveals his personal name the first time to? Moses, okay, at the burning bush, Exodus 3, 14. Okay, remember the context, um, God, uh, the, the people of Israel are in slavery in Egypt and they're crying out for a deliverer and so God answers their prayer by raising up Moses Moses feels absolutely inadequate to the task and he's out in the wilderness and there God reveals himself to him through the burning bush and then speaks the first time in redemptive history where God reveals his personal name, Yahweh. So what does Yahweh mean? Well, it's from the Hebrew root to be. So it can be translated a couple of different ways. It can be translated, I am who I am. Or I was who I was. Or I will be whom I will be. So you can see how this is loaded with, with all sorts of things here. So firstly, I am who I am. Okay, when God reveals himself like that, well, we know that he is the everlasting God. He is completely self-contained in his being. He doesn't need 
anything or anyone else. He is completely self-sufficient. Okay? I will be who I will be. I was who I was. Well, he's unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. In fact, that phrase that's used in the New Testament is connecting us to Yahweh's name. Okay? He's unchanging in his nature. He's eternal. He's completely independent. Okay, it's a self-referential name of, of God. And for the Jews, it's regarded as the most sacred name of God. So when the Jews read the Tanakh or the, the our Old Testament, um, and even when we were taught at seminary to, to read the, the Old Testament in Hebrew, you typically don't pronounce Yahweh in the scripture we pronounce, when you see Yahweh in the texts, the Jews and most people who read it, the Old Testament in Hebrew will, will pronounce it as Adonai, okay, or Hashem, the name, um, because it is just a sign of, of, of reverence. Okay, so, so just as there are many titles for the president, okay, the president's name is Sorrel Ramaphosa. Okay, so the equivalent is for, for God, is there many names for God, the Almighty One, the Everlasting One, God, but His name as Himself is Yahweh. I am who I am. Any questions on that? Because this is really, this is like the, yeah, this is the key, key revelation of, of, of um, Himself through this name. Yeah. Yes, excellent point, Annie. Okay, if you, and it's even clearer if you've got your Greek in front of you. Okay, so the, in the, the, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, if you read Exodus 3.14, it'll say, Ego eimi. Okay, I am who I am. Okay, that's the Greek translation of that. Now, when Jesus is, if you read, especially the Gospel of John, okay, there's whole, if you read it in the Greek, it's even more obvious. Okay, there are just reams of times where Jesus pulls that word very intentionally. Okay, to make the point that I am who I am. Okay, the whole list of I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the living waters. Before Abraham was, I am. Okay, direct connection to the. Basically, what Jesus is saying is, who is he? He's Yahweh. So that really, the fulfillment of the name Yahweh actually lies in Jesus Christ. Jesus is Yahweh. Any questions on that? Yes. You want to share that? It's a nice parallel. It's in Revelation. You've got the 
phrase initially calls Jesus the one who what who was coming, who is coming and is to come. Yeah. And then after it it come so it moves to the one who is and is to come because he um, he, he he arrived. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not was anymore. Yeah. <laughs> not yeah. He arrived. Yeah. So Jesus kind of in, in time and space is the, is the presence, is the Yahweh present with his people. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, then the last one from the Old Testament. Obviously, there are lots of, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't gone through every single Hebrew name of God. There are lots. But the, the key one, another one is Yahweh Tzavaot, or Lord of hosts. Okay, or Lord of the angel armies. It's the one in Martin Luther's uh, hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. This is the the name that he uses there. So some of the some of the versions say the the Lord of Hosts is his name. Others say Lord Sabaoth is his his name, referring to Jesus. Actually, so the Tzivaot in, in Hebrew is the um, is communicating God as the warrior, as the commander of the forces of heaven, and it so it describes the full royal majesty of God in all His glory as the the head of the army. Okay, it's a military term that's used there. Okay, let's move to the New Testament. And so the equivalent, we looked at the generic term of God in the Old Testament is Elohim. In the New Testament, it's Theos, which is just a generic Greek name for God. So even the ancient Greek pagan gods, they were Theos too, Okay. But at the same time, I can't stress enough, don't let that detract. It's not saying that Christianity is pagan in its origin. No, no, no. Okay. Some people want to twist it like that, but um, certainly not. Okay. And likewise, kurios is the equivalent of Adonai. Okay. It's um, the word for Lord. Okay. So when Jesus, when it, the statement that's throughout the New Testament, Jesus is Lord, that's the word um, that's used in the Greek, kurios. It's used for God the Father as well. It's used for Jesus, obviously, and it's also used for the Holy Spirit. So it, attributing divinity to all three persons of the Trinity. Okay, and obviously then Father, Pater, in the New Testament. We don't really see God being referred to as Father in the Old Testament. And there's a very important reason for that. What do you think that reason is? Yeah, basically. Obviously, the Son was and is and is to come, was eternal. But the, in redemptive history in the Old Testament, the, the Son wasn't revealed in his fullness yet. That revelation came in the fullness of time when Jesus, the Word, became flesh. And so that's why we see the um, revelation of God the Father much more clearer in the New Testament. Where the Trinity as a whole is is revealed, obviously there are shadows of it in the old throughout the Old Testament, but it's clear as daylight in the the New Testament. And so God is as as Pater, it reveals God as as a loving Father who cares for us as children. Yeah, our Father in heaven. That's the word that is used there, Pater, um, in the Greek. Okay, and then it's like at, at Jesus' name, okay, Jesus, or in Hebrew is Yeshua. So 
So what does Yeshua mean? What does Jesus' name mean? Josh. <laughs> right. <laughs> Joshua. It's the Greek. Greek is, is uh, yeah, Joshua. And it's the same Joshua in the Old Testament. That's Yeshua. Okay. Means God saves. So why would you think that is significant with regards to, to, to Jesus' name? Yeah. Okay, that's exactly what God sent him to do. He's the one who has fulfilled God's promise to crush the head of the serpent and save God's people for himself. So it's absolutely significant that God calls his son the one who saves. Okay, it's a... It's a participle of the word Yesha, which is to save. Yeshua, the one who saves. All right, any questions? Okay. Wonderful. Yes. So just important thing with Jesus, Christ is not his surname. Sure. It is like the appended title, basically. Yeah. Jesus, who is Christ. Yeah. So in the Greek, it's Christos, which means the anointed one or the Messiah. Hebrew would be Mashiach. So Christ means the Messiah. Okay, the one whom God anointed with his spirit. Uh, anointed with a, by the spirit, as John 3 says, in, in uh, um, a super abundant way, in a unique way. That is not, we don't share in that same um, messianic anointing that's his unique anointing as the the messiah okay so overall we can what these names reveal to us about god is various aspects of his character yeah and they cause should cause us to worship him in in greater ways we start to see different different glimpses of um, who God is. He's not just a, you know, a one-dimensional God. Morning, well, um, there's all sorts of these different aspects of his character that are revealed through um, the variety of names in which he has chosen to reveal himself as. So let's pray. Father God, thank you that you have revealed yourself to us ultimately through your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Emmanuel, who is our God with us, who is our Savior, who has reconciled us sinners to you. And so, Lord, we, we praise you for the truth of our salvation in Christ. Lord, we ask now that as we prepare our hearts for the worship service, that um, you would um, continue to uh, work in our lives by your Spirit, that you would give us hungry hearts to receive your word, and that you would be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.